Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. So welcome to a Monday afternoon. Let's talk some sport. I trust you enjoyed your weekend. The top sporting performance of the weekend surely has to be Manchester City's win in the Champions League final in Istanbul. I mean, it's great for the English Premier League, but it's hardly a triumph for English football, is it? Remember, the club is owned by Sheikh Mansour of Abu Dhabi, who has spent at least £2 billion buying the best players that money can buy, and then getting the best manager in Europe in Pep Guardiola, a Spaniard, to lead them. Only two players in the starting eleven, John Stones and Jack Grealish, are eligible to play for England, and both of them do. Their goal scorer in the final, Rodri Cascante, is another Spaniard, but hey, so what? That is modern-day football. The Manchester City fans are much happier now with an owner from the Middle East and a coach from Spain and a top goalscorer from Norway than they were when Manchester United won their treble back in 1999. You see, back then, Man City were playing in the third tier of English football. A quarter of a century later, the club, which was founded, what, 143 years ago, has just had its greatest day which cannot be said of the Hurricanes in their Super Rugby quarterfinal. Um, To be honest, I thought Adi Savia scored that try, but the referee says no, so the answer is no. But that's why we love sport, isn't it? The drama, the triumph, the heartbreak. Or am I being too melodramatic and nostalgic? We'll talk more sport on Wednesday afternoon here on RCR as Phil Tatarangi talks about the US Open Golf Championship starting later on this week. Well, quite a bit of political stuff has come out in the last couple of days. Anybody would think there is an election coming up soon. First to the poll, which came out on Friday. Once again, it suggests that National and ACT could form a government, although it would be close. The preferred Prime Minister polling is closing up with Chris Hipkins going in one direction, down. Chris Luxon is moving up and actually is on the cusp of having a positive net favourability rating. That is, more people like him than not like him. Uh, The poll was taken up until last Tuesday, which was before all the Michael Wood revelations moved into the spotlight. But to be honest, a political scandal such as that is not going to move the needle significantly. What is becoming quite obvious in the polls now, though, is that the country is still very close to being evenly split between the left and the right, and that the outcome of the election will depend on those who are not especially partisan. But what those so-called swinging voters of the centre have to realise is that whichever of the main parties gets to lead the next government, they will both be under extreme pressure to bring in policies from their coalition partners. So if you vote Labour, are you ready for the Greens' wealth tax and the Maori Party's separatist agenda? If you vote National, are you ready for Act's reduction in the public service and the reintroduction of charter schools? It's all very well being a party of the centre, but the direction the country heads in after October will be very much influenced 
by the coalition partners. And that's really important to remember. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, let's talk about the Green Party's tax policy, eh? I will give it a few ticks for a couple of good things. A tax-free threshold for everybody so that everybody keeps the first $10,000 of income. I think that's a good idea. Indexing tax brackets to inflation and adjusting them every three years is sensible and very fair as well. But then it starts getting silly. You see, the Greens believe that you can end poverty simply by giving people more money. Have these guys not learnt in the last six years that you just cannot do that? You could give some people $100,000 a year and they'd still be in so-called poverty because they just can't manage their life and their budget. And then there are the plans to tax wealth. The Greens just cannot get away from this envy tax, can they? At least they've lifted the threshold of so-called wealth. Last time round, it was a tax on everything over a million. Now it's on $2 million or $4 million for a couple, which is going to affect so few people, you wonder why they're even bothering. The estimate of people affected is likely to be 0.7% of the population. That is just called green-eyed envy. And then there is the plan to put up company tax from 28% to 33%. Don't these people know that companies and businesses drive the economy? If companies have to pay more tax on their profits, their incentive to make profits will be reduced and there'll be less money to reinvest in the company to grow it and therefore grow the country's economy. We must remember that this is a tax policy from a minor party. But remember also that if Labour gets to form the next government, the Greens will be a serious part of it and they'll be pushing their agenda. So don't write this stuff off as a socialist dream because if Labour forms the next government, this dream could be our nightmare. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, sometimes journalists can be just plain stupid. We've seen in the last few days some examples of why trust in the so-called mainstream media is sinking like a stone. First, Radio New Zealand discovers it has a pro-Russian producer working on its website, doctoring copy from Reuters and republishing it on the RNZ website. It's been going on for months, yet it took an eagle-eyed member of the public to notice it. Doesn't say much for RNZ's internal systems, does it? Then a TBNZ reporter who has no sense of uh, either humour or history asks the National Party deputy leader if Chris Luxon is aware of the Nazi policy known as Liebensborn, which was about increasing the number of Aryan babies born in the 1930s in Germany. This after Christopher Luxon made that throwaway, but actually very important comment on the need for New Zealand to have more babies. He didn't say white babies. That reporter, Kushla Norman, should be disciplined at TVNZ, but I bet she won't be. And then yesterday, Jack Tame tries to shame Chris Luxon into saying the National Party policy on capital gains tax is because Mr Luxon owns seven houses. Four, or is it five of them, rentals? I mean, it's just pathetic, gotcha politics, which 
we could do without. Luxon did not handle it well, and he looked red in the face, uh, almost embarrassed to have seven houses. Well, he shouldn't be concerned. A growing New Zealand, you see, requires ambitious people to do well in business and in their careers. The best people get rewarded. They should invest those rewards in assets. And housing is a vitally important asset for New Zealand to have because everybody has to have somewhere to live. Christopher Luxon is doing the country a favour by having four houses, or is it five houses, that people can rent. Interviewers, personalising politics is just ridiculous. People don't go into politics to protect their assets, especially somebody like Christopher Luxon. If what we've seen in the last few days is a sign of what's to come in the media, in the election campaign, we will not be a well-informed electorate come the 14th of October. And that is something we should all be very worried about. Let's talk about this National Party policy, which will bring to an end 20 years of trying to keep the genie in the bottle. Yes, the Nats have now said that gene editing and genetically modified organisms can be allowed in New Zealand again. This after the Helen Clark government of the early 2000s shut it down because of... Well, I don't know what, really. Mainly political pressure from the Greens, I think. But here we are, two decades on, and the world and science has moved on. Not always for the better, it must be said. But there does exist in the world the ability to improve food production and health outcomes. Although the idea of gene therapy and gene editing in some medicines is a problematic issue, as we have seen, of course, with the messenger RNA vaccines. Improving food yields, though, promises to be the big winner here. But whether or not a change in policy would make any difference to our animal emissions is questionable, to say the least. I see the Nats have brought up the GM ryegrass example, which they say could reduce methane emissions from animals. Uh, we can't even trial that grass here because of the law. But according to top Lincoln University animal scientist Jim Gibbs, the effectiveness of this grass is questionable anyway. Feed supplements to reduce animal emissions have only been effective in controlled barn-fed animals, not pasture-grazing sheep and cattle like we have. But at least under this new policy uh, from the Nats, we could control the trials closer to home. That's good and that's sensible. Whether many of the experiments actually work is another matter. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, last week, the one-time National Party Cabinet Minister Barry Brill revealed the very important information that the impact of animal-emitted methane on climate change had been overstated three to four times. Yes, it had been thought that methane caused 28 times as much global warming as CO2. This was known as the GWP100, Global Warming Potential of methane. The number of 28 times was first put about in the early 1990s. But the latest assessment report from the IPCC says, quote, expressing methane emissions as a CO2 equivalent of 28 overstates the effect on global surface temperatures by a factor of three to four, unquote. 
Now, the impact of that statement on New Zealand government policy should be significant. The need for sheep and cattle to be culled in order to reduce emissions now no longer exists. The Ministry for the Environment even admits this. Barry Brill has obtained a briefing note from the Ministry for the Environment to the Climate Change Minister James Shaw. It says, quote, there is no appetite to reopen the discussion. If we insist, there could be reputational risk, unquote. In other words, the MFE now actually believes that methane will not actually change global temperatures very much at all, but the ministry needs that inflated figure of 28 to make their models work and not to lose face with Greenpeace. I mean, as Barry Brill says, it is greenwashing. The ministry knows the new facts, but they won't do anything about them because of what others might think. This is a government and a bureaucratic cop-out of the highest order. Frankly, farmers should be marching in the streets if James Shaw does nothing about this. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now to some of your feedback, which is coming through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. Uh, This is from Christine. Hi, Peter. I've been asking a question which no one seems to want to answer. Is Christopher Luxon a member of the World Economic Forum? I have asked on his social media, but no reply. I think it's important to know. If a vote for change, i.e. national, would just bring us more of the same. Unilever, for whom Chris was the CEO in Canada, are very closely aligned with the WEF. I know asking Grant Robertson the same question had him abandon the interview. Indeed it did. That was with me a couple of years ago on Magic Talk. Uh, We know Chris Luxon was very pro-COVID mandates and vaccines and is a strong proponent for climate change. Can we trust a vote for him? Will uh, will it be a vote in the right direction? Many thanks, Christine. Christine, I don't know whether Christopher Luxon is a member of the World Economic Forum. I suspect that he personally is not. I suspect that he might have some sympathies with their views, but he is just not prepared to say as much, but then he's not prepared to say much on anything, really, is he, apart from broad brush statements. Uh, he's frankly disappointing as a politician, not with a great deal of conviction on anything. Uh, Now some comments which have come in uh, through our Facebook page in response to the Barry Brill interview and the revelation regarding the impact of animal methane on the climate. Uh, Paul writes, the main problem with James Shaw is he's an idiot who 100% believes that what he says is correct and anyone who doesn't agree with him is a climate change denier. The danger is he thinks he is better than us, but guess what? He isn't. And from Papa Jimmy, who says, Thank you, Peter. Many of us suspected their figures were overstated to push their agendas. Would love to hear from scientists who don't get government funding. Well, Jimmy, many of them say exactly the same thing. Uh, <laughs> all right, this, uh, this piece of correspondence, which I will finish with, it's from our regular correspondent, Rob, in Tauranga. And uh, Rob has sent uh, a picture of himself, just his torso, in fact, wearing a T-shirt. And on the T-shirt, 
is the following. And it's quite busy, and it takes you a while to read it, so Paul, uh, sorry, Rob will have to walk uh, very slowly along for people to get what's on his T-shirt. It says, uh, The War on Woke. New Zealand roads make me feel unsafe. Stone chips damaging windscreens, damaged road edges, dangerous potholes, bad drivers, potential Maori street songs, question mark. Uh, And then it continues, with government agencies transitioning to confused names, which transit authority do I complain to? Waka Kotahi, because of the road surfaces. Uh, The Human Rights Commission, because I feel unsafe while transiting. The police, because of bad drivers while I transit or the New Zealand Education Department's Trans Rights Department because of the need for driver inclusivity. Uh, Rob, thank you for that. Very droll, very droll indeed. Nice picture of your T-shirt, by the way. I don't think it's going to be a bestseller. This is RCR, Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. This is RCR. Now, the Sunday Times in London has just put another nail in the coffin of Anthony Fauci's reputation, the great conspiracy theory that the COVID virus was caused by a leak from the Wuhan lab has all but been confirmed by a big article in the Sunday Times over this past weekend, the start of which reads... Fresh evidence drawn from confidential files revealed Chinese scientists spliced together deadly pathogens shortly before the pandemic began. Scientists in Wuhan, working alongside the Chinese military, were combining the world's most deadly coronaviruses to create a new mutant virus just as the pandemic began. Our new investigation paints the clearest picture yet of what happened in the Wuhan laboratory. The facility attracted US government funding through a New York-based charity. This was the Eco-Science Alliance, led by the British zoologist Peter Daszczak, and the US government funding was authorised by Anthony Fauci at the National Institute of Allergies and infectious diseases. So the Sunday Times story is absolutely damning about where COVID began. Yes, it was in a laboratory in Wuhan. Anthony Fauci, of course, has always tried to deflect his involvement, but his facade is crumbling. Uh, This is from the New York Times in March. It's an essay written, an opinion essay written by Megan K. Stack on the 23rd of March uh, this year. I read from it. But the full story of COVID information manipulation is much broader. In the past month, we've learned that both the Department of Energy, which oversees its own network of laboratories and scientists, and the FBI now consider it most likely that the pandemic started in the laboratories. Although those assessments were made respectively with low and moderate confidence, they forced the laboratory theory to be roundly, if begrudgingly, acknowledged as a plausible explanation for the origin of COVID. And so we are left to wonder how a straightforward hypothesis got labelled first as a conspiracy and later as a reflection of racism. Retracing coverage and public comments, I found a cautionary tale. Those who seek to suppress 
disinformation may be destined themselves to sow it. And isn't that the truth? That from the United States, but it's scenario, it's a scenario which applies absolutely in this country. Thank you for your company this afternoon here on Reality Check Radio. I will be back on Wednesday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.